I'm going to repeat it here, and I'm still working on it, so it's, it's a work in progress, but it's called the performance prism of information technology. Ooh, can you break that down further? I would be delighted. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Brendan Bradley with the Fifth Wall Forum, committed to bringing together industry insiders from the theater and technology worlds to create opportunities for new kinds of virtual performance. And today I'm having a conversation with Ari Tarr, an XR founder, a performance UI consultant, an immersive experience designer and actor. Today's conversation is brought to you by the Fifth Wall Forum Discord channel, a robust community of hundreds of technologists and artists sharing job postings, tutorials, upcoming performances, and the home of Artifract Friday, where our mentors and collaborators share artifacts from their work, giving Fifth Wall Forum members a first glimpse at the latest in innovation and immersive storytelling. Find out more at our website at fifthwallforum.com. That's 5-T-H-W-A-L-L-F-O-R-U-M.com. And now let's get to the conversation. Welcome, Ari. I actually first met you through Theater Communications Group. We were on the same panel, but because it was the beginning of the Quar and no one trusted live streaming, uh, we pre-recorded our talks. And so I got to see your talk and you got to see my talk, but it wasn't until we started getting into Onboard that uh, we actually met each other. So I'm excited to just have a casual conversation about your journey today. Likewise. To start off, so many of our Fifth Wall Forum creators come from that like capital T theater world, but you have a more interesting cocktail of performing influences from growing up. Can you talk about coming to the interactive media space? Um, one of them was growing up in the circus and the vaudeville nouveau m- movement, which was you know Cirque du Soleil and uh, Penn and Teller before they'd, they'd hit it big. And I was really seeing masters at work, but I, I was not aware of the wealth of riches around me. And I definitely, uh, I wanted to be a serious actor. In fact, I, I just had the experience of going through the labyrinthine, uh, uh, halls of Disney bureaucracy and reclaiming some old checks that I made when I was an actor in, in, uh, some, some very early, uh, Disney productions back then. But at the same time, as I was doing that, I was reading cyberpunk. I was obsessed with sci-fi, but especially Neil Stevenson, the author who coined the metaverse, which seems to be the seems to be a bit of metaverse mania these days. Which, I, for those who don't know, and for those who do, it'll be redundant. But it's sort of a three D version of the internet. But more than that book, Snow Crash, which I, I think more than the metaverse, that was really innovative for talking about the history of. of uh, information technology, I was really obsessed with a book called The Diamond Age, which had this uh, view of something called a Raptor, who in a future where the metaverse is distributed, that was a new kind of performer where, where immersive theater inside of VR environments was the most popular form of entertainment. Okay, so tell me a bit more about this Raptor concept and how you've brought it to today's explosion of commercial and groundbreaking narrative explorations using XR technology. Great. I really started to treasure a love of theater when I started to delve into the history of theater, seeing how capital T theater was not only a fourth wall experience of the Stanislavski style, that there was this grand and ancient history that actually I started to gain an appreciation for where I had come from because there was this amazing pedagogy coming from 
uh, not just Europe, but around the world. On the acting side, that was studying with physical theater teachers coming from the, the Jacques Lecoq pedagogy out of, out of France. And then somebody like Dario Fo, which was showing that theater is not just on an intellectual level. It, it's not just about storytelling with, with words and, and facial expressions, but the body is the expressive tool that all of that rests upon. And that there are these much older parts of the brain and these, these ways that we communicate with each other physically that are de-emphasized in our hyper-left brain society. And that like somebody like a teacher of Commedia, Dario Fo, one of his quotes is that in every person's head, there already exists a camera and that a physical performer's job is to using their body and their isolations and their, and their breath and their voice to control the cinematography of that camera, of where that focus is happening. And, you know, to go back to, to vaudeville, magicians do this all the time. They control where your focus is so that they can pull one over on you. But that palette is much wider of controlling where somebody is focusing with, with your own attention and your own body and, and discovering those, those really wonderful wealth of, of ancient techniques. And then when it comes to like directing and design, I had the privilege of studying with Joanne Acolytis and doing a lot of multimedia and site-specific theater at the time. And, and her pedagogy coming from like a direct line to Krutowski, who was a Polish director who was exploring space and, all, and, and physical theater in a very uh, serious Polish way, but a lot of similar vocabulary. Uh, physically, that really inspired me of of the the magic of performing. Going down that rabbit hole of the magic and craft, you've probably logged more hours than any or at least many other live performers in headset. For those who have never done it, can you describe the experience and the new considerations of performing in kind of synchronous virtual space with both other performers and audiences? Yeah. I mean, what I think is really important about this medium is that you are present with a fully reactive empathic human in space. And that has so much to do with how we bring ourselves to that experience. And that, I mean, there's, there's some old scientific uh, precepts that the Moravian uh, model that 7% of how we communicate is text and 38% is uh, vocal tone and over half, 55% is physical context. So essentially mm. we are missing over half of the context for how we communicate, which for, for me, it feels like this is how our brains are, are so easily hacked when we're only communicating with each other on these 2D platforms limited to uh, just a few characters. And that when we can bring back that empathic context of how we exist with each other in space, that's finally true <laughs> communication. Um, and it, it kind of relates to this model that I have, which I, I, I used in the, the opening of Center for Immersive Technology. I'm going to repeat it here, and I'm still working on it, so it's, it's a work in progress. But it's called the Performance Prism of Information Technology. Ooh. Okay. Can you break that down further? I would be delighted. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> the, the ancient history of, of theater, the more I studied, I found that it all relates to shamanism. 
or even even Greek theater. It was all a religious festival, and that's what the catharsis is, is, is bringing all the tension of the community and, and releasing it in this religious festival dedicated to Dionysus. I was lucky enough to study uh, Bunraku puppetry with Basil Twist and seeing the history of of puppetry in ancient Japan and how there were traveling puppet shamans that would take the bad spirits uh, in, in the, the sort of Shinto religion and put them into a puppet that would then be ritually burned at the end of that particular festival, which then becomes over time codified again and again and again until you have this theater tradition, but its roots are much more ancient. And to focus on um, Western culture, just it is also a, a shared context that we have. I think the, the best way to sort of exemplify that is the conflict between the ancient Druids and how the Druidic tradition was passed vocally through through music. I, I think the, the ancient Greek Homer did the same thing of it was everything. It was performance, it was dance, it was music, and it was also your history. It's how you transmitted history down through the ages. And the first information technology is writing. So that's what, the, for instance, the Romans did very well. It's like you take away that role of that very first shamanic storyteller. So now you, you don't have to be the historical record for your entire tribe. And, and you know, we, we've lost the Druidic record. We, nobody knows what they were actually doing. We, all, we have guesses based on anthropological records, but we, that's lost to history. We do have a lot about the Romans because they wrote it down. And we can read it. So the next thing that I that I would say happened again. This is this is not as as cut and dry as I'm making it, but I, I'm, I'm trying to make this understandable. In Rome, for a thousand years, you had civilization and you had arts to to keep the uh, and and later on the, the Colosseum, which is its own kind of horrible, bloody, immersive theater. But you had theater able to thrive for a thousand over a thousand years of civilization. So. You asked about time and headset. It just, to get good at performing, you'd need time performing in front of an audience and to develop that empathic tool of how do you create that feedback loop between the performer and, and, and the audience. And so a thousand years of performing in Rome, when, when Rome fell, you start spreading that tradition out through the Commedia dell'arte troops. And Commedia at the time was a really interesting form of structured improv where there were these archetypes it's also the the, the beginning of vaudeville too because you've got these set funny bits but in between there you are customizing each show to the community that you're in and so the, the pantalone character that becomes that particular magistrate that everybody hates and so you get to mock him and everybody loves it because it's customized for that particular audience for that particular community in that particular time sort of parallel to that you've got the royalty commissioning these incredible incredibly lavish, immersive theater productions called The Masks. These one-offs that were showing how much wealth you had because you could pay for these large, immersive experience, like like uh, Henry VIII, sort of recreating like a disnification of the Robin Hood story and talking to the Robin Hood characters, a very early form of, of immersive theater that they paid for. But these were, these were one-offs, and these were not for... This was not folk art, and it was only praising the aristocracy. So there's really interesting forms of, of that that go way back in history. And the next version we have 
is film. So film was invented and there was this adjustment period where, you know, we had an interesting, uh, the way that I met you, I remember you were talking about Twitch being vaudeville. And I have a lot of specific opinions about vaudeville and I'm still not sure if I agree with you, but I, to a certain degree, it is a kind of interactive folk art with immersive technology. So it fits somewhere in, in this prism. But to go back to this, I, this, this idea of like, okay, okay, so Comedia was this way to spread news. So then this sort of like feedback loop of, of uh, this community interaction gets sort of taken out of, of the prism. And so what you've got left is this sort of theater getting more and more and more codified. In the times of vaudeville, okay, so film was invented around that same time. So the sort of entertainment aspect of, of that, it becomes reproducible. And I think American vaudeville it was, was really the, the exemplification of the perfect way that um, a human brain pays attention. And it's like, I, I feel like this relates to VR of like, we only have so much attention span for certain kinds of things. VR is very, very good at touching objects in front of you and like solving a, a physical puzzle with just the pieces that are just in front of you right then and touching things and putting things in other things. So the, the human brain works in, I think, bursts of attention, which is why VR is so suited for that. Because you, you move things around, you're, 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 you're playing this like interesting game of touching things and solving things, and then you're kind of done after a few minutes. You're like, okay, great. What are these pieces about? Who made them? And who, why are we here and doing this? And so the brain wants a little bit of story to bring it back in and keep you interested. Okay, then I've learned who these people are, and now I'm bored. I want something cool to happen. And I think American Vaudeville was really the perfect way of adjusting to the human attention span for certain kinds of activities. And they used to say about vaudeville of, uh, well, if you don't like something, wait five minutes and it'll be the next thing. Well, do you think that then these platforms and the kind of algorithm of hacking the human attention span does kind of mod bring these platforms into the tradition of vaudeville, whether or not the content side offerings look similar to the tradition of vaudeville? I think that where the original performance prism, as, as this, as, as again, I'm still workshopping this, at where it was split with information technology, I think at each time a new information technology is invented, we have had to split off that original role of, of the shaman into a new type of performance. And I think that, that really happened when, when film came out is that vaudeville had to adapt to a new technology. And most people were left in the dust. It destroyed their careers and it destroyed all of these incredible uh, touring infrastructures that was made for vaudeville at the time. But now there was this whole new medium. And at the time, there was these like really out there vaudeville-based experiments happening in Europe with, with modernism. There, were, uh, there was uh, Meyerhold making a Russian futurism of these incredible immersive experiences funded by the state. There was uh, the Dadaists creating, and, and the Italian futurists creating these wild, wild interactive pieces that were so new and so bizarre, they caused people to run into the street and in putting them in like almost a state of schizophrenia in this whole uh, phenomenon called the art riots. <laughs> Speaking of bizarre experiments and riots and puppet festivals that look like someone set it on fire, if we can transition into our work and specifically your work on Onboard XR, because I spend most of my time just trying to like keep the show 
afloat, pun intended. But I'd love to hear what what actually brought you to Onboard XR and what that experience occupies for you in not just the current trends, but also this history you're talking well, about. Okay, so it's the word comes down to scale. This actually gives us the ability to pull the prism back together because we can be in the same place, just like we did when we were a, a Neolithic tribe in an ancient cave and the storyteller had the complete power of all of those different uh, forms of expression that 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 sort of prism of technology split because we couldn't be in the same room together. We had to create a uh, cinematography to sort of simulate what it would be like to be in this experience and get people to feel things through this new language we had to create to adapt to this new technology. I think VR is separate than any other information technology because it brings us back and pulls that prism back together to give performers the the power of those original shamans to translate as powerful as those original experiences that that we evolved our brains you know we we have those neolithic brains still that we evolved with we now have the power to move people the same way that we did back telling those original stories in those in those caves that became part of our nervous system. And I feel like we've been separated from that. And now we have the we have the capacity to pull all of those threads back together again and make something new that touches us at our absolute core of, of our neurology and and spirituality. Uh, woo, woo, that was a, a bold statement there. I'm, that was... I'm, not, I'm not backing off. I'm doing it. Okay, so, so the other reason I got fascinated by scale was seeing some of these performers at the absolute top of their craft creating virtual magic, masters of directing an audience's attention and being three steps ahead of them to create this feedback loop of empathy that left people with rolling in the aisles and feeling like this show had been created just for them. And they experienced a piece of magic that could never be seen again. And it was such a treat as a child to see these masters of their craft. But I I saw so many of them having to leave or I've seen, I've seen it bankrupt them. And And I think that the history of theater is unfortunately just littered with the human detritus of people who dedicated their entire lives to producing these experiences. And just because of the physical impossibility of bringing magic to the stage with these expensive props and and costumes and, and venues. And it's just, it ruins people because there are so many factors and it's, it's so hard to do. It's, it, it, it's been amazing that we, we have such a rich history of theater at all. And I personally saw it. I personally saw some of the greatest artists that I've ever seen not be able to make a living at it and had and who had to retire because the sheer physical impossibility of doing of bringing that kind of magic to an IRL stage broke them. And so when the Vive came out, I snapped one up right away because I saw that finally we were able to take those magical personal empathic experiences that use all of our, our our body and our soul and translate them to anybody in the world at any time instead of somebody having to come to the experience we could bring the experience to them which again scale that's that's why film work that that's that's the first question that <laughs> in 
investors want to want to hear is how how is your how is your product how is your experience going to scale so we're not all going to go bankrupt trying to produce it. Obviously, you have this perfect constellation of the love of the history and the experience at the cutting edge of the industry. You and I have spoken about your desire to develop sort of a curriculum of sorts for bringing context and training to this craft. Can you talk about what teaching or learning this art form might look like in the future? I'm so excited to be in this mode. I'm so excited that we have enough recognition that we can start to teach some of the fundamentals of where we've been and where this could be. Because the only way to produce an event like, uh, to produce work like this in the past has been you have to found your own company. Well, actually, I, I started on the, on the Gear VR. I started producing theater before the, the Vive came out on, on, on the Gear VR to try to experiment with how do you tell stories with this new tech. Um, and I, and it, I found the only way to really scale that up was to found my own company and become part of a, an accelerator. Because at the time, I was in uh, the I was in Silicon Valley, and I, you know, I, I was doing wonderful underground theater experiments, um, you know, bizarre queer cabaret theater stuff that wouldn't, you know, does not scale for many reasons. But what I was doing for a paycheck was I was creating these immersive experiences for the major tech brands that were you know, sucking all of the the money and attention out of the space by creating these sort of social media giants that, you know, are, are even to this day kind of crushing local theater experiences all the time. So it was very much a, a sort of modern version of the ancient masks of creating these one-off immersive experiences for our tech overlords. And I, and I thought to myself, seeing how much money was getting invested at the time, I was like, well, if this is the way that we have to do it, then okay, this will be my greatest role. And I'll pretend that I can be a CEO <laughs> with my co-founder. We, we conned our way into getting into a couple startup accelerators and, and we're able to get a prototype up. You know, it was, it was a, a VR interactive game slash immersive theater show that was also streaming to Facebook live with interactive chat in a live studio with a live audience at the same time. And I learned a lot because of this experience. I got brought in as a, as a consultant building the performer UI for Adventure Lab and, and for Active Replica and a few other companies. And, and what, what I found was the cognitive load of combining these different roles. So for instance, in, in this immersive theater, there's certain ways that performer and audience are kind of combining in, in this way. Likewise, like uh, for, for experiences like Adventure Lab and the Under, the performer is combining both a stage managing role and a performer role, and, and to a certain degree, a director role as well. I, I can call my own cues, so I can, you know, that, that, was, that was the big question we, uh, I've always gotten, is how can you have less people doing more of those different roles that we've had, theater has had to be in this hierarchical structure of all of these different roles to, to make these, these large immersive events. So that to me is amazing. What I, what at the time I really found the limits of my cognitive load of how many roles I could take on at the same time. And it was too many. And it kind of, you know, there was a lot of, re a lot of reasons. The, 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 what the third fall of VR was, was certainly one of those two, but generally, but, and also the, the market, you know, the market is still, not moving as fast as any of us would, would hope who are ambitious for us to get to that next level of, of theater design in, in this new sort of 
space, which is this, this, you know, the greatest canvas that mankind has ever created for art, you know, in, in my opinion. So where does the market need to move? If you talk about your experiences with Active Replica and Adventure Lab of what you've learned about the scalability and development of responsive, playable entertainment. It's, it's going there. I mean, where the hardware numbers for mobile headsets are, are being distributed now. And that's, that's amazing that anybody could buy a, a headset from an unnamed social media company for 300 bucks and get access to all of this was not, <laughs> was, was not possible in the past. So like that really, I think has been the inflection point. And it means that it's, it's taking a few steps back of, of where we've been because PC VR is, you know, what, a, what a treat as an actor that I've had, you know, for instance, with onboard that I've got a, a PC VR set up and I can run my own cues in a, in a desktop browser and simultaneously perform and see the audience inside the headset at the same time. It's, it's, it's just remarkable that we could do this in, in, uh, in, on the web right now. Like what we've, we've come so far and yet at the same time, to get people to see this, we're dialing back the fidelity of those experiences so that they can fit in the current version of the hardware, which I, you know, I, I think it's been kind of a reset on the industry. And I think that's in part uh, really good because what I learned creating a prototype is that, yes, it's, um, it's amazing that we can do all these things, but are, A, are we ready as performers do, do we even have the the knowledge to create the kind of content that can fit on these platforms and b does the audience have the ability to understand what we're doing <laughs> and uh, i love i love that of the, 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 the uh, neuroscientist that i follow I follow is a man named david eagleman that has this new idea of the live wiring of the brain that our brain is always adapting and i you know i think about Again, that first example of uh, of the switch between live stage and film, and and of course the amazing Chris Milk VR film harks back to when when the first time uh, it's in Hugo too. The first time people who had never seen a film saw a film of a train coming at them, they all jumped out of the way because they did not have the the ability to their, their brains could not understand what depth means in this new format. And, and similarly, very early on, when I was spending those times in the headset um, and streaming uh, live interactive uh, paint, uh, tilt brush painting in, in Twitch, it, it took me hours and hours of being in a headset to really understand what is this canvas? How does depth work? How does scale work? These things are that are... Uh, natural to the medium, I my brain could not process even even depth at that time. And I think that the next generation of kids are going to get it. They're going to grow up with it, and it's going to be a part of who they are. But for adults learning it now, there's a lot of just uh, uh, we're we're still in the audience when the train is coming and we're jumping out of the way. We still need to you know, change our brains so we can even understand the expressive potential of this particular technology. So speaking of seeing it and understanding it, taking a breath and just focusing, for example, on, on your process for onboard, can you just very badly explain what you're having to do so that people can kind of visualize what your setup is like, how you're moving back and forth between the different platforms and devices so that there's this idea of like, oh, this is where it is right now, and this is what it takes, and why there's such a learning curve. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I think that the tools aren't adapted necessarily to what we're doing. I mean, at one, at one time we have a wealth of tools and, you know, I'm like a kid in a candy store with, with the ability to create my own cues in a WebXR platform and animate uh, 3D models uh, to create these incredible immersive theater cues that would have cost me tens pop hundreds of thousands of dollars to do in uh in an IRL immersive event that I can get off Sketchfab and I can program it into this this platform which we've been sweating over and I can do it for free. Like that that in itself, like I can prototype a kind of expressive experience that would not have been available to a creator without sacrificing his entire life and all his funds to get to experiment with that beforehand. So just having access is huge. Um, you know, I, you know, again, like calling back to Meyerhold, some of these incredible experiences that he was pioneering because he had state funding from the Soviet government before Stalin tortured and killed him, he was able to prototype you know, some of, some of the, the same influences that I can, that I now can do with five minutes of like very basic coding without having to go to the gulag, you know, like that's, that's, an, that's amazing. <laughs> so, so in your show, Harun Desert, for example, you got the audience to go get a potion for you and bring you that potion. And then you spawned a particle effect that made it look like magic was happening. And then you changed the scale of your avatar in real time to become a giant. And then I believe you fought an animated fire creature that then killed you. And then a rain cloud came and put out the fire of the fire creature. Is that a very simplistic way of trying to get the audience to visualize what you were able to accomplish with basically Blender and some JSON cues? Sure. So, like, all of that comes back from uh, puppetry. So, and and that same example that I was quoting w with Dario Fo of like, okay, so I was able to switch my waypoint by pressing a button, which was, it's incredible that I don't have to invent a, you know, a, a Unity custom hosting UI to do that. I just have a button on my desktop. So how do we do this without making this, and make this theatrical and, and make the movement make sense? So uh, let's say I drink the potion. I know that I have a few seconds to pull up my headset and I have to press the button that transports me underneath the ground and grows me to this large size. So it wasn't, we don't actually have the button for particle effects. I just, I, I just asked for that. I put in my, my submission request. It was this um, revolving, incredible animated uh, uh, ethereal effect that I just played with in Blender for a while that started to look like it was expanding this magical effect. Wow. So I know that I'm, I drink the potion, I hit the magic effect and and it and it makes this sort of exp I, I animate it so that's expanding so it looks like the magic is growing bigger which is the the focus becomes for the audience while i have to kind of break my avatar's head pull up my headset and then click the button that transports me underneath the ground 
but it just looks like a seamless drink the potion, the magic expands, and then all of a sudden I'm rising out of the sand and I'm dragging this other animated creature with me that has this gigantic uh, uh, fight with this, um, this, this horrible fire god. So then you fight with yourself. Yes, yes. It's another, <laughs> again, it's, very, it's, a, it's just digital puppetry, which, you know, I think uh, puppetry, mask, all of these ancient uh, theater techniques are all of what I'm drawing on that uh, to use with these, with these cues. It's just that again, I can now, I have this palette where I can do them in a few seconds where it would have taken an entire lifetime of craft as it does with even Bunraku or or any, any of this stuff or mask um, that I can do in a few seconds that it would have taken them an entire lifetime to do. You have now covered impressively an entire lifetime of thousands of years of past history and your own journey. Can you casually talk about what excites you about the future as an artist and what you want to create? Oh my goodness. I am so excited. And, uh, I'll try not to talk too fast because I am such a geek for this stuff. I think that what I was talking about before about combining those few roles of, you know, the audience, and performer role are 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 starting to come to uh, can can combine in these interesting ways. Not all, I don't want all audience to be performers because then it, you're, I think your line is getting too fuzzy. But I think that that can be used as a, as a tool in your in your in your toolbox. I've had the the privilege of doing I don't know um, over uh, I, I mean there's there's been about a thousand maybe maybe five hundred shows. Uh, in in headset, just with one of the companies that I, I've worked with, I don't know how how much time I I've spent, but in that time, combining learning to combine how a performer can also use a set of cues and be their own stage manager um, is is incredible because I can think three steps ahead and plan my beats with with the conversation that I'm having and have a you know developing those 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 live wired neurons in the back of my head to be able to use game controllers at the same time as I'm improving as a character that took a long time to develop that part of my brain the part that I'm excited about next is is two things specifically with, with just some just some baby steps to where we're going next which is the what can we do with a director role how can a director combine with those different elements of production so you know, I, I work with a, with a platform that had my same uh, business model in 2015. We were, we were friendly competitors and now collaborators, which is a, a platform called Flipside, and they have this version of of their their version of the director is uh, mostly for post production is called the I've, I've called it the Invisible Giant. Um, and so you are so imagine you are an invisible giant. And you are watching a scene take place with an actor that's, let's say, the size of a mouse that's in front of you. But you you can touch all the parts of the set and prepare what's going to happen next. And there, that, that tiny mouse-sized actor is talking to a tiny mouse-sized audience member who is, let's say, being watched by innumerable people in VR. Or you're, you know, you're basically producing a live version of Saturday Night Live for a camera, which is a 2D streaming audience. So your improv partner, when you're this, when as an actor, is a, is an invisible giant, and as an invisible giant, my improv partner is a tiny mouse-sized actor, and we're in communication so that we can agree what the conversation the tiny actor is having with the tiny audience member who's who's live on camera to to an audience. 
I, as a director, this invisible giant can be rearranging this whole tiny, tiny for me, model and set for the beats that are coming up. And we in real time can make a, make the whole world seem to completely respond to the conversation that we're having in a magical way that if that you could never understand unless you were behind the scenes. I'm literally uh, an invisible, uh, you know, invisible deity organizing what that script can be for the next for the next moment. The the other thing that I'm I'm really excited about was something that I, I you know we were prototyping way back in the day, which is how can you scale a, a large immersive experience with agency with AI. So how can you work with some of this GPT-3 models that are coming out now where an incredibly advanced AI is, you can have a conversation with it. It can walk around and it's pretty good. It's pretty good. However, I don't, you know, we're not quite at the state where it can empathically read a human being and decide the, and, and like cast them and decide where the script should go for them. So can an actor jump between these AI, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say puppeted characters, but can can when you reach the limits of the AI, can an actor then skip into that body and continue the conversation and and plan the next beat for where they're going to be, uh, you know, three three conversations from now. So yeah, uh, you know, we we can automate the the fact that we can automate some of these roles, which used to take an entire uh, you know, hum- humongous cast of 30, 40, 50 people to do, we can now just do with a few, which means that we can actually explore this as a creative medium, which means we'll have so much more innovation. And we are forging the beginnings of what I believe is a new art form, as long, you know, still using our toolbox from the theater history past. Um, to create something that has never existed before. And that's what really excites me. Speaking of forging that history, part of the point of this podcast is to kind of signal boost any resource that you're currently looking for to take that next step in your journey. Yeah, I think I'm just having a conversation recently that right now the, the tools are a bit spread out. And so I don't need, I don't think we need to have all the tools do all the things because for instance, like Unity comes from gaming. That is why we have all of these amazing resources is that we had games and then you, when you had the code for a VR camera, you could just place a VR camera in your game and boom, then you're there. Um, so things like, you know, shaders and, and uh, lighting and, and uh, all of these game models are pre-made. So, you know, you can do things very well in, in a Unity instanced multiplayer platform. It's just... It's 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 ready to go and it's very good for certain things. Um, and then, like like for instance, the 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 platform flip side, like I'll call them out, I'll call them out twice, I guess, which is that it's it's very good for performing. It's very good for um, getting the subtlety of how an actor moves in space and how you can how you can transmit your body language very much like. Um, a very uh, skilled mask performer can, when they're moving correctly with 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 training, they your brain will hallucinate that the mask is is changing and, and and breathing. Same thing happens with an avatar. If you were working with a trained physical performer, 
it goes from this is a digital thing that you're using to this 3D character, no matter how you know low fidelity, sometimes a simpler character can even seem to live more when you're performing with it correctly. So there's for for performing, I think there's so much work we can do, and I think I think Unity is a really uh, great platform with all of its its wealth of characters. It's mostly used for you know games where we shoot each other, but I think there's so many <laughs> so many uh, aspects of what you can do with like a person standing in front of you that we haven't been able to explore with this technology if we're not trying to uh, shoot each other before we can even get to that interaction that we can we can explore. Um, the other I think is that's amazing is WebXR and the fact that the the Mozilla team has made hubs and spoke run in a browser is fantastic because you know spoke is a, is a is a simple relatively program to use where you can very rapidly prototype these um these these experiences they have to be dialed back so that they can run on the hardware and as we you know we've ex- experienced like certain you know the, the quest one is going to have audio problems because it can't take enough of those sync enough of those audience tracks versus the quest two um so you really do have to dial back the fidelity but it's really great for exploring uh, how do you write for this medium, how do you design for this medium, and how do you direct um, one of these experiences. So I haven't found all of the things I want in one platform yet, um, and I don't think necessarily they have to. For instance, WebXR is a browser-based already, so we we have access to all of this amazing history of web browser technology. So it you know so one of the things that I was trying to solve very early on for the the Silicon Valley set is how do you reliably book an actor and get them to show up and get the server to spin up? It's like, like all this is incredibly important for this, you know, this sci-fi idea of the Raptor is showing up in the same place with the server showing you the same things is we're not quite there reliably yet. However, in, in WebXR, all of these amazing calendar tools already handle that. And you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can just plug a 3D WebXR experience, as, as low fidelity as it is, right into a calendar. And all of a sudden, all of that is solved for you. So there is really some drawbacks and some advantages to each platform right now. There's nothing that does it all yet. So selfishly, what is one resource or tool or just teammate, you know, partner, collaborator, that if you could scream to the earth right now, like, where is this person? I need them. Or where's this thing? I need it. What would that be? I mean, on, on the onboard side, I am incredibly blessed to work with this team that you've assembled. And I feel like a kid in a candy store. I feel uh, completely privileged to be here. You know, I, I just want to bring more people and, and figure out a way to uh, smooth over some of the bumps and, and, and cracks of trying to get these platforms to talk to each other so that we could get other people to get into the sandbox with us and play. Um, I think that the other, on the other side, um, I, I haven't quite seen the distribution that WebXR gives this expressive tool to artists on the unity side, but that, that is changing. Um, in you, uh, you had to again invent your own sort of bespoke uh, platform, and you know the funding model was you had to take investment and give an ROI within three years to your investors of and they make sure the hockey stick, and you kind of have to bet the bet the farm on 
you're doing this at the right time. And, and so that has been a, a sort of a personal frustration with me. And I think that's about to change. And I'd like to announce something brand new on this podcast that I have never said Ooh. before, which is I'm putting a, a, a lab together uh, before called XR Act Lab with all of the, the performers that I have worked with that have that, you know, that, that time treading the virtual boards that actually have uh, enough time and headset that they are dealing with these problems consistently and, and can think creatively about creating those solutions. Um, in in, a, in in the in the flipside platform because it's the only unity based one that is distributing those those tools so um, I, I I think we're a little further with WebXR I'm really excited to do some play tests to start figuring out how performance can be taught as a as a legitimate educational outlet in a network VR and, and I'm here like uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I followed Jared uh, Italian last name. I can't. Oh, darn it. Sorry, Jared. But um, he's he's constantly saying he's hearing that. Yeah, I know who you're talking um, about. You know, virtual performance isn't going to isn't it doesn't work, and um, we need to go back to live theater. I think that you know, I, I, there's been amazing work done inside of what we think of as virtual theater, which is Zoom theater. But I can't believe with the, the wealth of resources, with this, the magic of what I've seen with how I can make people feel things so much more and so much more deeply and create such a, an intense experience of wonder, more so than I have ever seen in traditional theater inside of these networked VR experiences that I can scale this kind of magic to anyone in the world at any time. I, and I, I, you know, I'm biased because I've been able, I've been, I've been so blessed to get access to these experiences. I, but I literally cannot understand how anyone could say that because these experiences are incredible and we are headed towards a new Renaissance and golden age of theater enabled by these tools. And, uh, you know, I think they'll, they'll know it when they see it and they'll come around. And when they do come around, how can people get in touch with you? You can follow me on Twitter at XR actor. And, um, I'll be blogging about some of this stuff as I figure out, as I'm kind of trying to codify how to teach inside of virtual platforms at a, at a, at a serious university level. Um, I will be documenting that on my on my personal blog and and through my Twitter. You know, we need we're the only people doing this, as far as I can tell, and we need people who understand how to do the right. roles. Right. Well, I think we're all. I think what's always hard is like in the middle of creating it and then prototyping it and inventing it, you then have to remember to go back and like document it so that like you could tell someone else how to do it or explain it to them it's it's always been my weakness it's everyone's honestly. weakness it's like again i'm i'm such i've been such a novelty junkie in my life i'm finally learning how to slow down and and reflect before moving on to the next thing so it's such it's been it's just a great experience for me and i think we need to publish media and create buzz because we have to get people interested in this stuff. Ari, thank you so much for having a conversation with me. I could do this all day and it has been such a delight. So thank you so much. Thank you, Brendan. You're, you're a wizard. As always, thank you, Space Wizard. Thanks so much to Ari Tar for the conversation. If you want to join me on the show, find me online at the handle Brendan A. Bradley or go to fifthwallforum.com to find out more. 
I'm Brendan Bradley wishing you a happy Friday and I'll see you next time.